Um, Stephen De Silva and his wife Donna are here, and uh, from Bethel Church in Reading, which is our um, uh, the our mother church, if you will, and um, to uh, to Blazing Fire, and um, I've known Stephen about as long as we've had a relationship with um, Blazing uh, with the Bethel, because he is the man who told me to breathe. Um, for those of you who don't know, I am the admin um, over Blazing Fire, and Stephen has helped me numerous times, he, he, numerous panicked times, going, what do I do with this, that, and the other thing? He is just amazing. And so he brings the, um, I, I, I don't know how many, how many of you have um, listened to Stephen's message before? So okay, so a few of you. You guys, he is part of the Bethel team, and also he is an amazing, brilliant communicator of the, uh, the, the prosperous soul. He is the chief financial officer at Bethel Church. And so with that comes a huge man of faith, right? <laughs> he gets to oversee, you know, he gets to put in place and help with the dreams and the visions that Bethel Church has. So with that, he brings the same kind of excellence that you may have heard from other team members up at Bethel. And uh, Stephen is part of the uh, the senior leadership up there. He is like up there on the totem pole, <laughs> if you will. And so, um, so he just brings with him again uh, another demonstration of the kingdom, the kingdom that we're trying to uh, grow together, God's kingdom that we're trying to, go to grow together. And he is helping so many of us um, learn to um, maneuver. Is that a good word? Maneuver and build up faith within your inner being in this area of finances. So would you please honor with me Stephen De Silva? Can you hear me now? Yes. It's coming through the speakers. Awesome. Good. I'm hoping I can do this without a handheld mic because I'm part Portuguese and if, if I have a one hand full, I can only talk at middle volume. <laughs> so with both hands, I can really get this place going here. Very good. Thanks for coming out on this chilly evening. <laughs> coming from Reading where it's Summer times are 112, 118 degrees. I thought, ooh, I'm going to go down to the Bay Area and have a nice little cool, refreshing break. Yeah. That didn't work out. It's okay. Jesus is the king of the valley, isn't he? Anybody love the Lord? Yes. 
Oh, oh, I just love... Let's just take a moment and just, just turn your heart of affection to the King of Kings, the one, the one who made you, the King of Kings. Father God, we just turn our hearts of affection toward your face. We turn the volume up on our gratitude. Just think about what you're grateful for for a moment. Think about where He saved you from. Where you were headed before He reached out and pulled you into His kingdom. Thank you, God. Lord, I'm so grateful for that. Lord, we just take a moment to honor You and, and bless You and praise Your name. If You would, just in Your own words, just praise the King right now. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Lord, we give You honor. Lord, we, we ask that we would be a pleasing offering. In your, you would look upon us and be well pleased in us, God. We, we offer you our lives. We offer you this weekend, God. We pray that, this, that, that what happens here is squarely in your assignment. That we wouldn't divert from that or fall outside of your will be done. Thank you, King. And Lord, everything that is taught and caught over the next two days, I'm asking God that, that what is from your hand would be planted deeply in our hearts. It would bear fruit like a tree. It would bear much fruit in our lives. Tenfold, a hundredfold, and a thousandfold. Imagine that for a moment. Lord, everything from you that is permanent and true, let it produce a thousandfold in our lives, God. Make that so. And Lord, if there's things that are a mistake or just second heaven worldly minded or fleshly minded I ask forgiving, forgive us all for that and we just pray that you would just blow that away we don't need that we've got enough of that going on <laughs> on our own we don't, we don't want to capture that stuff so Lord we lay those things in advance in front of you right now and Lord you told us the keys that what we would bind on earth would have been bound in heaven and what we would loose on earth would be loosed would have been loosed in heaven and so god i'm asking you to bind the enemy's strategies right now we're going to be talking about money we're going to be talking about delicate things things that can be misunderstood i'm asking you to bind the enemy's strategies to confuse and take us in directions we're not interested in right now we bind that on earth knowing it's been bound in heaven and God, we loose your virtues, your wisdom, your revelation, your understanding. We loose a mind of Christ in this room that we would see differently, we would think differently, we would think like heaven, we would think like you, God. And we loose that on earth as it has been loosed in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, well that concludes my seminar. That's awesome. You know, if we could get that down right there, we're kind of done, aren't we? Just hear from the king and know. Oh, well, I'm going to get on a rabbit trail. Here's the thing. I teach in rabbit trails. I'm not going to apologize about rabbit trails, although I will try to identify when I'm on one. You know, oh, there goes one. I'm on it. I'll tell you when I'm on a rabbit trail, but I teach in rabbit trails because I, I feel like the Holy Spirit is talking to me as I'm teaching, and I try to chase those things. But... Rather than drive you crazy and feel like, what in the world is this man doing? I produced a manual. So I'm going to tell you about the manual really fast. And um, 
the reason that you have a manual included in this seminar. And then I'm going to tell you about what the seminar is. And then I'm going to tell you about some other stuff I teach so you can get some context. Is that fair? The reason I use this manual is because I am the product of a couple of things. Um, I started at Bethel Church in 1995. That was six months before Bill Johnson came. And at the time, I was an accountant and looking to get out of public accounting and into some kind of a ministry where I felt like I was doing what really mattered. Can you guys see me? I'm kind of short. I'm going to get up here. I'm going to see if I like this better. I don't. I like it better down here. I'd much rather stand right in your, right in your laps. Yeah, and I think I'm good. Yeah, this feels right. There's a spout right here. I'm right underneath it. I'm right there. But I, uh, I was working in those years, uh, coming out of public accounting and into this church, which I wasn't sure if I wanted to be an accountant in a church. It was basically professional suicide. Honestly, I thought it was when I quit my public accounting work and went into this church job. But I, I just needed to do something that mattered, you know. So anyway, working in this church, I, about six months later, Bill Johnson shows up. Who's heard of Bill Johnson? Yeah. yeah. We all joke at church, that all the staff, that we're going to have shirts made up that say, I'm with Bill. Because nobody knows. It's like the American Express. Nobody knows you until you pull out your American Express, right? But if I have an I'm with Bill shirt, everybody knows me. And on the back it says, I'm with Donna too. Who knows Donna De Silva? Yeah. Who's heard of Sozo Ministry? Yeah. So what happened is the Holy Spirit just began to teach us things and work on us because we were a pretty vulnerable group. We just kind of said, well, let's just kind of let the Holy Spirit do what He's going to do. I know we're all like this, so there's nothing special about us. In fact, I like to say, in spite of our best efforts, God's using Bethel Church. Because we try hard, we do try hard to stay out of the way of what God's doing, but, but we're still just a bunch of guys running around. And so I learned this thing about, um, I, I began to process the situation, what does it look like to be kind of an accountant in a situation that is supernatural? And these supernatural things start showing up. And you start having this pressure between kind of this ideal supernatural environment and this kind of practical, dang, how do I pay the bills? You know, And so I began to go through a process, and I, I call myself now a recovering accountant because I'm recovering. I started to, although I did lose my hair, and I do miss that, I began to grow back my personality, which I was happy about. So I began to go through this transformation, and this transformation, I spent a lot of time just kind of thinking about it and praying about it and making notes and whatnot. And I realized one day that... Um, that I was being conformed to the image of Christ in my own fashion. We all are. But in my fashion, it was being formed. I came from a place that I didn't realize at the time, a deep, profound poverty mentality. And I ministered out of that. I was uh, married and I husbanded out of that paradigm. I raised children in that paradigm. I worked and built a career in a paradigm of a poverty mentality. Okay? And then, I, and then what was happening is God was growing me up and out of that, and he was giving me invitations. And it looks, and those invitations look very much like a vision I had that is in the front of a book that I'll tell you about later. 
But in this, in this vision, this, this happened, it was really wonderful. I saw myself on the deck of a ship, and I was, and this was a little ship like the Mayflower, you know? I don't know what you visualize, but for me, it's a little teeny ship with little top things, whatever those little parts on the end are, and the captain is standing on one end, waving his arms, and there's other guys up on the front. I know a lot about ships. I've, I've sailed a bunch. And then there's this thing in the middle where there's a mast. I know a bunch about this nautical stuff. But in this vision, I, I was just standing on the deck of this ship, and it was so real, the wood boards and the creak of the sound. It was really weird that this thing was creaking and groaning. This little ship was sailing, but I was completely alone on deck. And I was, I was thinking, you know, I wonder what's going on and where everybody is. And, and uh, I peeked over the side, and I could see that there was water underneath me that was really clear and that there was, great, you know, dangerous, like, coral reefs and nasty things. There were even some ships sunk underneath me. And, and then I looked up and I realized that there was, a, there was a shoreline that I was, this little boat was sailing by. And I was sailing alongside of this thing. And it was really quite dangerous. In fact, this little boat was going in and out of like rocky things and dangerous places. And, and, but I remember feeling so comfortable. I just felt so safe, like familiar. Like, yeah, this is what we do. We sail along these rocky shores. Even though other guys are sinking, we're just, we know what we're doing, and somehow I can do this. And I realized that I was watching this thing. It was all happening pretty quickly. I realized that I am going around and around. This shoreline is actually an island, and I'm going around and around this island. In fact, I've been going around this island for generations. My whole family has been for generations. I didn't realize that, and I, I thought, well, that's weird. I'm actually going nowhere, but I feel like I'm just kind of making headway and busy and I'm navigating and I'm steering in and out of shoreline danger and I'm doing all this stuff, but I'm actually going nowhere. And the Lord says that that island is poverty. It's a poverty mentality. It's a way of perceiving things from a paradigm of lack, like there's never enough, the glass half empty, okay? And he said, I want you to sail away from this island. And I said, I would be glad to sail away from this island. But I figured out I, I was scared to death to sail away from the island. Even though the island was dangerous and there were like sunken ships, to sail away from something that I was so familiar with was really threatening for me. It was really scary. And uh, I failed, I attempted and failed in this thing several times, but I eventually managed to sail off away from this island. And as I was watching this thing move away, this island, it looked really pointed and kind of cartoonish, but it was not a friend. It wasn't friendly. And I was sailing away from this thing. By the way, there were other ships sailing around it too. But as I sailed away, I got way out on the ocean. And I got far enough away that I watched that little island get smaller and smaller and finally disappear on the horizon. And I looked up ahead where I was headed. And there was another island just start to peek its little head up. And I thought, that's awesome. So I sailed toward this other island. And this other island got larger and larger and larger. And it crazily looked very much like Poverty Island. But it was a different island. And this thing got bigger and bigger and bigger. And there were ships sailing around it as well. And I was, it was far off. I could see the island. I could see it was dangerous, just like Poverty Island. But I could, and there I could see that there were ships busily sailing around it. And the Lord said, that's the island of Mammon. And he said, I don't want you to sail over there. 
And I said, okay, that, that makes sense because I don't know much about mammon, but I know that it's bad. It's something God said you can't serve. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. So, I mean, it's a big old deal. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to sail out. Where do I go? And I sailed away. I just kind of navigated out between what I realized is I was navigating between these two islands. You follow me? And as I navigated out into the wide open ocean, it was uh, really unsettling. I realized that even though I was used to poverty, I'd grown around that, sailed around that for years and years as a, um, you know, as a family for generations. I realized that it had become familiar. You've ever heard the term a familiar spirit? Poverty had grown familiar to me. And, and God was giving me a choice. You know, he's a real gentleman in that. He doesn't like make us do anything, but he invites you often. How would you like to sail away from poverty? I would love to sail away from poverty. That's my brain talking until I tried and my heart was scared to death. Okay, well that ended my, this vision thing that I was telling you about. But what the Lord did is he finished and has been and continues to teach me about what a prosperous soul means. Tomorrow... I'm going to give you my definition of a prosperous soul, but we're not ready to, quite ready to hear that yet. Not because it's any big old mystery, but just because there's a bunch of things I want to teach you before we get there. It's a prosperous soul. Who has a manual? You have your manual in front of you? Look at the front of the manual. On the bottom right corner, there's the verse, 3 John 1, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. What's interesting about a prosperous soul is it's like a fountain. And from it flows good health and prosperity. Isn't that weird? Beloved, I pray that in all respects you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. Right? So your soul prospering is very important. And there's not a lot of language in the Christian Circles that I have grown up in that talks about what a prosperous soul is. So that's what we're, we're about to do. If I had more time in this semester, in this session, I would love to hand out a piece of paper right now and find out what everybody thinks they're here for. Why are you here? What do you think you want to walk away with by the end of tomorrow? And the reason I, I won't take that time is because the prosperous soul series that I teach is 12 weeks long, 20, 24 hours of stuff. So rather than stand up here like a fire hose, like a fireman with a fire hose and just <laughs> turn it on you guys, and you'll walk out and you'll lose tons of stuff, I figured out that I will give you a manual that has it all in it. Now we're back to the manual. You have a big old fat manual, peace to your heart, we're not going to cover every page. Who's happy about that? Come on. Yeah, we're not going to cover those things. What do you have in there? What looks like about, I think it shows about eight chapters. Those are actually broken in my class into about 12 sessions. We're going to cover about three of them. We're going to cover one of them tonight. Tomorrow, I'm going to, in the morning at 10, we're going to cover a hybrid of two others. Then I'll tell you page numbers and stuff so you'll be able to track along. 
And then tomorrow in the afternoon at 2, I'm going to do one other session that is a double on Dominion. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to hit the highlights. And because you have the manual, I get to rabbit trail. So that's what I'm going to do. Who's doing good? Who's, you guys good? It's cooling off, huh? Yeah, it's feeling good. Excellent. Now I want to tell a, a, one other little backstory because I'm big on context. If we lose context, I'll lose a bunch of you. So if you could just hang with me here a little bit longer before I get to topic, I want to talk about context. This is a stewardship series. And back in the day when I was, um, before I was at Bethel, I was, I'm a CPA, I'm a tax guy. I told you that, I work in accounting and and, uh, I, and so I learned from all the, the great teachers back then. Who's heard of Larry Burkett? Who's heard of Crown Ministries? Who's heard of Ron Blue? Yeah. All of the, and, the, and then others. Um, Gary Cassie is a great teacher. Um, some guy named Ramsey. Yeah. Whatever that is. I don't know. Some fly-by-night guy named Ramsey. You know, but there's all these teachers. But back in those days, I was teaching uh, financial about money, teaching how to prosper. And I really got frustrated. In fact, I quit. And this is um, important to say because this is what the class is that we're about to go into is Prosperous Soul addresses that problem I had. I sat for hours across the desk from somebody who says I'm having trouble balancing my checkbook, or I'm in debt, or I'm living beyond my means, there's more month than money, or I, I seem to be sabotaging myself, I don't know what to do, help me. And I sat across from those desks, uh, uh, the desk from hours and many, many, many people, giving them skills. This is how you budget. This is a budget sheet. This is why you budget. This is what a retirement plan is. This is how the time value of money works. This is what compounding interest does. Okay, all those things. Guess how many of those people actually change their lives and behavior? Zero. There's a guy says one. Yeah, these are optimists in our crowd. Thank God for you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for that man right there. Yeah. In fact, most of my sessions looked like this. They would come to me, and the first thing I would do is I would say, I want you to do an expense journal. Larry Burkett people know what I'm talking about. Write down everything you spend for the next week and come back next week and show me your journal. No one ever came back. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's just work, work, work after that, right? So that's what I did is I taught and taught and taught and I taught until I realized I am just batting my jaw and flapping my gums and nothing is changing. Behavior isn't changing. And I got sick and tired of it. So I quit the whole thing. I quit. Years later, I'm at Bethel Church, and, and uh, my wife bumps into Sozo ministry. And the Sozo, if you don't know, Sozo is a Greek word that means saved, healed, and delivered. I'm speaking a foreign language to anyone who doesn't know uh, Christianese. But those of us all here understand that. If you don't understand that, uh, go, you can go ask my wife later about how it works. But it's a Greek word, saved, healed, delivered. It's what's used in the Bible when, when Jesus is talking about us being saved. Okay, It means completely saved, all the way saved. Like You're never like 
kind of pregnant, you're all the way pregnant, right? And so this is the same way. You need to get all the way saved. That's what sozo means. And so um, sozo has grown and really, really increased. Don has been running that ministry for 15 years. And it's been going really well. And she travels all over the world. And she has a whole uh, tool belt of tools, all of which have been practiced on me. Okay? <laughs> Everyone. Everyone. I'm the target of everything you've ever heard about sozo. Yes, and I'm here to stand, stand in for you, before you today and say it actually works and it won't kill you. Yeah. And it, and, and it, but, I, but I started to see and experience myself changing on the inside. Now you realize there's nothing magic. Can I use the word magic? I don't mean the magic. I mean like C.S. Lewis magic. Okay? Bad word, but I like it. There's nothing magic about sozo or Bethel Church, or what I'm going to teach you. You know, it's, it's you and Papa God is what it comes down to. And there's so much stuff I want to talk about, like right in that zone. This is just us connecting to Father, because I'm going to steal some of my thunder from a later session. I'm on a rabbit trail right now. Did you know that the poverty spirit, remember that island? And the mammon spirit, which I'll teach about tomorrow. We'll learn some more about mammon, but it's bad. We can just categorically say mammon's bad. The mammon spirit is bad. Those two things are brothers and sisters. Did you know that? They're siblings. They're like twins. They're two ends of a spectrum. A poverty spirit is tearing you down. It tells you there's never enough or you're worthless. You're not. You don't deserve that. Poverty spirit. Mammon spirit says, you totally deserve that. In fact, you ought to go get that. In fact, those laws out there, don't even worry about those things. In fact, you're entitled to that. And it puffs you up. But you know that the two are opposite ends of the same spectrum. They're not the same thing in that their techniques and tools are completely different. But they are brother and sister to a parent called orphan. Who's heard of the orphan spirit? When we get buried into tomorrow, when we start peeling back some stuff, we're going to go after the orphan spirit. In fact, everything that I do is about the orphan spirit. Because I really believe that is the main assignment of the enemy in this day right now. And whether we get distracted with the poverty thinking, or we get distracted with mammon thinking, both of which are rampant in America, right? both of which are a complete distraction. The enemy doesn't care which one we wrestle with. He just wants us to wrestle with one or the other. My grandpa would say, Stevie, never wrestle with a pig because you both get muddy and the pig likes it. Right? Don't wrestle with a pig. So we're going to go after poverty and mammon, two pigs. And we're not going to wrestle with those things. We're going to go after the the orphan spirit. We're going to use Romans 8.15. It's a great little verse. Jot it down. We'll cover it more later. We're going to talk about what it's like to live as a prosperous soul. Prosperous soul is going to require some things of you. It's going to change your behavior and your way of thinking. It's going to connect you to a spirit of adoption instead of an orphan spirit. And when you do that, when you make those changes... 
you're experiencing what we call, or what I call, a financial sozo. All right? Does that make sense? Saved, healed, and delivered in your finances. Does that make sense? This is what this seminar is about. This is the seminar that rewires the lies that you've been believing inside of yourself, about yourself, or about money. Because, see, until we fix those things, we are going to continue to loop around and around. Does anybody relate to what I'm talking about? How we repeat things? Now, I realize none of us in here do this, but we have friends, right? We have friends that do this over and over and over. And family members, the ones that, you know, that we don't talk about, they repeat and repeat and repeat cycles. And so what this class, what this series is about are three of the 12 sessions on how to break that cycle. Sound good? You see, this is amazing because if you can figure out how to break that cycle, then you go to the next step of skills. Remember the Larry Burkett, the Ron Blue... I have a series that you won't connect to in, this, in these days called Prosperous Home. This is Prosperous Soul. We've got to get our wires laid out. Next is Prosperous Home. And it's how to build a plan in your home life to create wealth. It's how to start the climb. Now, this is my opportunity to tell you what this class is not. This is not a health and wealth doctrine. All right? If anybody's nervous about that, or you have others that are, have warned you, watch out for that prosperity doctrine, I will stand on the same side of the line with you and go, you're right. Okay? Now, I've got to tell you that the prosperity teachers, I believe, are standing on scriptural basis. And I believe they are talking from a point of view that is based in truth. But it is either, and I'm not even going to judge them, I do know this, that it, that message lands in people that are not prosperous souls and creates all kinds of twisted up problems. Alright? So that's why this is not about that. This is not about getting rich. This is not about what we deserve. This is not about how to make money appear in your life. This is about how to be perfect. I, pushed, I picked that word on purpose. How to be perfect. Did you know that the Bible tells us to be perfect? Even as our Father in Heaven is perfect? Dang, right? Oh, shoot. Now, I know most, most of this side of the room made it, but how many on this side are still struggling with perfect, right? Well, let me, let me give a little... Let me describe this word perfect a little bit. You know, we Americans carry around this Greek mindset. Who's ever heard of that before? We have this Greek, we're kind of Greek-minded. Do you know that the Greeks' perspective of perfection is to have something without a blemish, right? With, a, with no flaw or perfect or complete beauty. No flaw. Does that make sense? Do you know that the Hebrews have a completely different perspective for the word perfect? A Hebrew, let me, let me do an illustration of an olive tree. Who's seen an olive tree? Are they a weird looking thing? 
right? They come out of the ground and they're all twisted up. If you've not seen one, Google one, olive tree. And just look at some of those things. They come out of the ground and their trunks are twisted and their limbs are all knotted up and they cruise out and they're, they've got a beautiful leaf but their, their trunks are just twisted. They are not perfect looking trees. Well, this is it. A Greek would look at an olive tree and say it is imperfect because it has flaws in its bark, in its shape. A Hebrew would look at an olive tree and say it is perfect. Because for a Hebrew, perfection means to function as designed. Isn't that cool? See, the Greek says you've got to be perfect. The Bible says you've got to be perfect. So for the Greek paradigm, that means I can have no failures at all. Right? Whereas the Hebrew says we need to function as God intended us. We need to figure out who we are and be and happen. Does that make sense? Oh man, that should be, that should be revelation to you guys because here's the thing. The devil and the world is not interested in all in you being who you should have been. They're interested in bogging you down with identity stuff, with fears and comparisons. Donna and I were on our way down here praying and Donna goes... Oh, we, she was just just a little brief prayer, and she was trying to find a right word. You remember this? And I can't remember the other words she said, but then she said the word comparison, and the Holy Spirit just hit her. And it, was, and it hit me too. And it's like, wow, there it is. A finger on a, on a strategy of the enemy in this area is to make us compare ourselves to others. And it's hard to measure up, isn't it? Yeah, because you're measuring yourself up to somebody else's measuring stick. You're supposed to measure yourself up to your own. And you know, what makes you go to another comparison is the orphan spirit. What makes you measure against your own measuring stick is the spirit of adoption. So we'll, we'll go deeper into that tomorrow. But I just wanted to um, give a little difference, a little context between prosperous soul and prosperous home. All right? Prosperous Home is a manual that's just about done, but it's not quite, it's still really young and it's not quite ready to go out on its own yet. You know what I'm saying? So I'm keeping it back and I'm working and polishing it. But it looks like this and uh, I'm really proud of it. And I'm hoping that this thing will come out available sometime soon. But it's not there now. You're just going to have to wait. Wait for the movie. (laughs) Jesus. That's right. We've got to do this first. This is going to make us ferocious. This is going to... See, Prosperous Soul is going to introduce this idea of capacity. And now, by the way, we have just shifted gears and we're now in the topic. All of that was introduction. You're thinking, oh my gosh. This guy doesn't get out much. He talks a lot. He does. But I save up all my words all week long, just getting ready to come and meet with you guys. No, I'm kidding. So, this is about capacity. You see, if we get capacity, we're able to carry things. You ever think about, you know, let's think of a gold bar for a minute. Has anybody in here even seen a gold bar, a real one? Seen one? In person? You've seen stacks of them. They're not very heavy, are they? Yeah. How much does one weigh? I don't even know. 
40 pounds for a single gold bar. Right? Now, this is an interesting, interesting comparison. Gold is just heavy. And it isn't carried around in paper bags. Right? You don't like go to the grocery store and load up a bunch of gold bars in there and carry it out with the handles. You know, it just won't work. You've got to have capacity to carry gold. Did you know that, that the word glory means weight or weighty, right? You don't just carry glory in a paper bag. You've got to learn capacity to carry it. Does that make sense? Isn't it interesting? Gold and glory are both weighty. Now, you see, we got to, our assignment on this planet is to carry glory, to carry the king, and to carry him around. We even have glory of our own that we're supposed to throw at the king's feet. So we're not supposed to be worms. We're not supposed to be worthless, broken down things. We are something that Jesus died for. And we're going to go for a, a group sozo later on. If I can get this guy to quit, to quit talking. Um, we'll have a little group sozo tonight. And we'll go after some, maybe some of the lies that we're believing we're going to do a little, yeah, have a little financial sozo action. Does that sound good? Awesome. Who just got really nervous? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, if you're afraid, we'll sozo that too later on. Awesome. Yeah, capacity. Capacity to carry. What would it look like in your life if you had capacity to carry? Capacity to carry gold. Capacity to carry glory. Would it change? How would it change? Just, just think about it for a minute. You know, we get to use our imagination because we have the mind of Christ, okay? And we bound the lies of the enemy. And I'm not talking fantasy. I'm just talking about imagining. God, what would it be like if I could carry your glory? How would my life change? Let's just imagine that for a minute. What would it be like if what God assigned you, you were able to carry? If you could carry it. Through generations. You know, my, um, my father just passed away in January, at the end of January. And it was a really hard season, and I'm pretty much through it, but I, t- I still just miss him so terribly. You know, it just comes and goes in waves. But there hasn't been a lot of death in my family. I just haven't really experienced it much. My grandmother died when I was really young, and it was terrible, but, and I loved her very much, but I miss her. But I was young. So in my adult life, the first person I've really lost was my dad. And that was last January. And I've been teaching financial stuff for a long time. And I've been teaching about carrying, how to build inheritance. The Bible says that a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Right? So it's a righteous act to build and accumulate for a person that you pass on to a next generation. And I get to thinking... Wow, I'm going to build that for my children. For years, I have had a focus on creating an inheritance for my children. I have two sons, 24 and 21, next month, or in December, he turns 21. So I've been thinking about that, and I've been building toward carrying the capacity to carry in my own life. And then January comes, and my father passes away. And as I work through the estate and I'm figuring out all the terrible stuff that goes with the passing of someone you love, I started working through his, uh, what he left me, 
my inheritance. And he, he left me something. And I get to thinking about that. He left me a couple of little stocks and a little piece of land. doesn't matter what it is, but it's something. And I counted it up, and it didn't amount to a lot of money. But I got to thinking, it never even occurred to me that my dad was building an inheritance for me. I wonder why that is. I realized that my dad, he died in his 70s. If I take my dad's 70 years, and his father, let's say his father had, maybe he was uh, 20 years old when he had my dad, maybe 30. Let's say 70 plus 30, 100 years has passed, and there's been no inheritance, maybe longer. See, my dad, his dad abandoned my dad. So I know that my father didn't get anything from his father. So over a hundred years, nothing has passed to the next generation. Isn't that something? My dad accomplished something that took a hundred years to accomplish. I was shocked. My dad, that's amazing. Oh, I loved my dad very much. Still do. But I was shocked to realize a hundred years have passed and nothing was moving from generation to generation. You follow me? thought, that's weird. And I realized that this cycle demonstrated over time looks like this. You see it? The inability to carry. You succeed and you fail. You succeed and you fail. Whatever the reasons are. Medical things. Legal things beyond your control, economic you know, turns, whatever. Prices rising, housing bubbles, employment shifts, whatever. On and on this cycle goes, right? And every time it goes through generations. But in a person's life, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but I want you to, if it fits you, I want you to look back in your own life and see, have I been going through cycles? Do I repeat patterns? And if I'm repeating patterns, what would it be like to break that? What would it be like if this pattern ended in your life? And just, just dream about it for a moment. It's okay. I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Children, you can do this at home. Right? We get to think. What would it be like? In fact, the poverty spirit would never even let you imagine it. In fact, the poverty spirit would say that would be evil. That's evil to think that because that's greedy. I go, no, 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 wait a second. We have a, we're supposed to be living in a kingdom that knows no end. We're supposed to be moving from glory to glory and I'm not even able to think about hope. That's a fingerprint of a poverty mentality. Tomorrow we'll have some fun with poverty and mammon, but... This pattern in your life, just think about it. You know who demonstrated this beautifully? Sadly, tragically, is the Jews, the Hebrews. There's a book called Judges. Who's heard of the book of Judges? And in it is this awesome man of God named Gideon. And Gideon is hiding in a wine press, right? And all these bad dudes, I think it was the Philistines or the Hittites or the Hivites or some tites, somebody like that, they were just beaten up on the Hebrews. What they were doing exactly is every time their little harvest would start to grow and produce, these bad guys would run out of the bushes and out of the hills 
and come and destroy it all to try to starve them out. It was a bad deal. So they would, they would secretly try to grow stuff. They are just trying to eke out a living. All right? And so we find Gideon now. He's in this, this, this big wine press. It's just this big wooden circle that they would squish wine. And he's down inside and he's sifting. He's hiding. And he's sifting out wheat so he can take it home and feed his family. This is a bad deal. Right? And this angel shows up and he says, Gideon, mighty man of valor. Gideon's all in. I love it. He goes, oh yeah? Where are the promises of our father? Right? He's like, right back. Where are the promises? Well, let's just jump through the story real quick. You know how this goes. Gideon does the fleece thing. We're going to skip over that piece where he tests the, tests the Lord, tests the Lord, tests the Lord. Finally, he goes to war and he whips the bad guys. Right? Remember, he had a bunch of people his army, they all get out their forks and rakes and combs or whatever they're using, and they go after these bad guys. And they get out there, and they're drinking water before the attack, and God shrinks the army, shrinks the army. There's, what was it, 300. So 300 little farmers go out there with their stuff, and they whip these bad guys. It was like Gideon and the Hebrews were living at the bottom of the circle. And they were crying out, where are the promises of my father? Where are the promises, God? Where is this kingdom come? Right? Where are the promises? And God does what? Sends a deliverer and moves them through a victory to the top of the heap. Right? Gideon's army destroys the enemies. They come back and it says that Israel celebrated. They lived in peace for 40 years, that's a generation. 40 years they live in peace on the top of the pile. And then it says that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And what happens is God sent a bunch of another, a new group of bad guys and they fell under the boot of the enemy again. Do you know that Gideon was the third or fourth cycle in that book alone? It goes over and over and over. Isn't that crazy? Anybody relate to this in your number, in your own money at home, in your own experiences? Yeah. We succeed. You know, if you're on the bottom, this is a little prophetic moment right here. You've got yourself a problem in your finances. Now, right now, I can look out over this room and see a bunch of beautiful people. You guys look great. You got your hair combed. You got your cool clothes on. You know, we all look the part of good Christians right now. You do. You guys look awesome. And I'm willing to bet that some of you are not feeling so cool on the inside. I'm just willing to bet that some of you are right down here hiding in a wine press. You've got some Hittites or some Hivites or some tights working you over. Something's really tight. And you're really working it out. And you're feeling like, God, are, where are these promises? Alright? Okay, the prophetic moment is this. And if you would receive it, don't even... Let's just be brave. I invite you to stand. If you're there, don't be embarrassed or ashamed. But I want you to stand up. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prophesy to you guys here in a moment. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Jesus. 
شو شو بسارو تکی اونجا سری تکی God thank you thank you for hope Lord we take to our feet like Gideon you know he was bowed down and hiding but just like you stood to your feet you just stood up in the in that wine press you just look this angel in the face and you say where are the promises ho oh, i'm not willing to stay in this this is wrong how do i get out of here and i'm prophesying to you right now it is not if but when because god is a deliverer by definition <laughs> i tell you now i prophesy into your life it's not if you will be delivered but when it's not if but when in jesus name and i call you out of that wine press right now in jesus name i call you over the side of that wine press and out into into a blessing and favor for the king of kings to call you to the top of the cycle it's not if ho oh, but when thank you god this father of ours is a deliverer it's not if he's going to deliver you it's just a matter of when and so i declare into your lives a shift a shift to the top a shift to a place that's right a place of hope and a place of power and a place a place of identity in Christ a place of purpose and if you believe that i want you to put your hand on your heart right now and prophesy this these simple words i am a prosperous soul again i am a prosperous soul it's not if but when my delivery comes it's not if but when my deliverance comes Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the ferocity in this room that we are literally performing a violent act against the strategies of the enemy of our souls right now. Cool. And we declare and look forward to our breakthrough. We receive it in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Come on. Come on. Thank you God. Thank you God. Thank you Jesus. Good job. Have a seat. Have a seat. Awesome. Capacity. A lot of us feel like the test is at the bottom, but it's not. When you're at the bottom, you've been crying out. You know what? Keep crying out. You're doing great. Cry out for help when you're at the bottom because that's what the rules are. But when you're at the top, that's when the test begins. When you get your breakthrough, That's the test that the Jews, the Hebrews failed over and over again. That is the test that a person's life in a cycle is being is failing over and over again. So what this class is what we're fixing to do here is figure out how to pass the test of success or peace. Sound good? Yeah. You know, if you were to break this cycle, I'm just going to erase this line. And if you were to stretch this cycle over time you get this up and down pattern, right? Do you know that that is almost exactly the same pattern as the middle class America? 
as the financial patterns of a middle-class America. We gain it, we gain it and we lose it because we don't have capacity. And when we're at the bottom, we cry out and we go to work and we're great workers. And we go to work and we start earning and accumulating what we can. We scrape it out because we're workers. And we work our way and we accumulate and accumulate and we get to the top and something happens, we fail it and we break and we lose it again. See, if you were to illustrate this, if you were to... You would, you would be looking at the middle class. If you were to illustrate the poor, the financial poor, and the spiritually poor, theirs looks like a flat line because they're just subsistence. Right? But if you were... There's another group, the rich. Now, I have to be careful because we haven't had a lot of time to talk about these buttons. But I just got... I want to ask you guys to give me permission here to just talk freely about money. Okay? I'll explain as I go, and I think you'll get confident. But right now, if that triggers you, just just give me a minute. Because I'm not about getting rich. I'm about getting capacity. Do you know that there's a verse in the Bible that says, this is four, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Check it out. It says that we would be known as servants of Christ and stewards of His mysteries. Right? Let's just think about this for a minute. Servants of Christ. I think the church kind of got that figured out. We know how to serve the Lord. This verse says we would be known as two things. Servants of Christ and stewards of His mysteries. Do you know that that means handlers or managers of God's secrets? God's secrets. Imagine God has secrets. And imagine God bending down and whispering His secrets in your ear. Why? Because you're a manager. You're a handler of His secrets. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's our portion. We get to do this. Well, when you begin to manage His secrets, you have to demonstrate capacity. God isn't going to give us more than we can handle. He'll give us tries, He'll give us tests, but if we don't learn how to carry it, We're not going to go anywhere with it. Stewardship is about the ability to carry. If you take this illustration, this circle, and you break the circle, in other words, you stop the pattern that is affecting your failure, maybe creating the uh, pattern of of self-sabotage. If you could break that and eliminate self-sabotage in your life, This pattern looks different. It comes around and you carry instead of lose. And, you know, God has this thing about if you're faithful and little. And He promotes us. He tests us. He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. He is a rewarder. And what happens? When you get more, you learn to carry it. When you pass the test at the top you'll demonstrate it by carrying it. Does that make sense? And when you carry it, you're demonstrating your faithfulness in little. And as you do in little, He gives us promotions. And in much more, He gives us a test. He says, come on, bring it. Let's see what you got. He's totally happy. He loves us wherever we decide to settle. But man, I want to be a steward. I want to be a supernatural steward. Because if you keep passing tests... What do you see? Do you see glory to glory happening here? 
Do you see a kingdom that knows no decrease? My dad passed on, in, our, in my family line, to my knowledge, the first inheritance in a hundred years. Think about how long your family tree is. Where has all that wealth gone? Where did my great-grandpa's wealth go? Where did yours? Where is that? Somebody lost it, right? Because we're not carrying it. Man, I want to carry that stuff. I want to I get it and use it. There's a, there's a tool that I hope to get to tomorrow called Purpose Train. And it's an awesome tool on how to align your life decisions on the purpose that God has put you on this planet. I'm hoping to get us there by tomorrow, okay? That'd be good. How many struggle with decisions, making choices? Yeah, they're hard, aren't they? They're hard. Well, we're going to spend some time, uh, maybe in the morning tomorrow, and talk about a purpose train and how to make your decisions in alignment with your purpose that God's put you on the planet for. That'll be a lot of fun. Well, in this class I teach in symbols and in objects. So in here, I'm going to start passing this around. And the, I have tokens that everybody gets. I'll hand out a few of them in the class. And this token, the first token, is, are the, the little silk bags. Because it's a symbol of the capacity to carry. You as a supernatural steward is symbolized in this little bag. All right? So I'm just going to... The colors don't mean anything to me. If they mean something to you, pick it. But I'm just going to route these around. <clears throat> and they'll, they'll eventually get to everybody in the room. Don't worry, because as you leave, if you don't have your little bag, you'll get one. All right? There's a second token. It's the first one that's going to go in it. And I'm going to start it around on this side. And this is a penny. So I'm going to just start, start these. Same rule. Take one, move through the room. By the end of the night, if you get done before me and you have to go, uh, we'll have the little treasure boxes in the back and you can take it as you go. Does that make sense? What I want you to do is keep all these things. I want you to keep them and put all the tokens that I give you inside the little bag. And tomorrow I'll give you some more. And when this is all done, you're going to go home and you're going to tie these closed and you're going to throw it in a drawer somewhere. And you're going to forget all about it. Right? But here's what's going to happen. One of these days, the Holy Spirit is going to bring that back. You're going to be looking for that, that extra spare key to the house that you know is in this drawer somewhere. It's somewhere in this desk. And you're going to be rummaging around. And this thing is going to come out. And all of these messages are going to come back to you. And you're going to go, oh my gosh. And the timing will be unbelievable. I know this. I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. You're going to be amazed. Okay? So this is a way, this is like a monument stone. You remember how the Jews, the Jew poppies, papas would stack up the rocks to teach their Jew kids? And the little kids would go, Daddy, what does that rock mean? And they would say, well, that was when God miraculously dried up the sea and we crossed it. Right? And the kids would go, okay. And the parents would teach those kids and it would carry on. It's part of this capacity to carry. So this is important to me, all right? The reason your first token is the bag is because of this message that we just completed, which is session number one. 
in your manual, we just screened through all the way to around page 56. Isn't that amazing? You thought I was just messing around, didn't you? You didn't think I knew what I was doing. But I'm a professional, and I know what I'm doing. Actually, I got a little exuberant there. We didn't quite get to the 50s. We probably got to page... No, 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 no. We got to page 46. 46. In this manual, you're going to see every token explained. I have them all with me. So if you want them all, um, before you leave the last time you're going to be here, be sure and get them all. Okay, I'll have them all sitting in the back and they're in a bucket right here. Don't all mob me at once. These are not very fancy. One of them is a paperclip, okay? So if they were cooler, I'd have to charge more for the class. So. But um, I'll give you all the tokens if you want it. They're all explained. They're all prophetic acts. There's one token missing. It's the very last token of the class. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment. As we go through the class, I want you, by the end of the class, I won't have time to chase you down on this, but I invite you to this. Ask the Holy Spirit what the last token is for you. And see what God is teaching you and what's going to become your, not, your last token. I'll give you a hint. Some people use uh, rose petals was one person's token. A rose petal. It symbolized intimacy and purity and, uh, and uh, tenderness toward the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Rose petal. Another person had a seashell. People have really cool ones. But um, you guys build your own. So there's a homework assignment. The second homework assignment, this is, these are challenges. I challenge you to go home and stare in the mirror at yourself and experience how uncomfortable that is and tell yourself uh, what, what you think Papa God thinks about you. Okay? We're going to be practicing. We're going to go into our financial sozo here shortly. But we're going to go after the Holy Spirit to start showing us lies. Okay? And the way a sozo works is really simple. We go to Papa God, who's better than you can imagine, and we ask Him to show us a lie we're believing about money. And when He shows you a lie, then you're going to ask Papa God, where did I learn that lie? And sometimes he'll show you, oh, you were six years old. And um, then when you, when you understand where that came, what you learned, you're going to ask Papa, would you, show, would you take that away and give me something in exchange for that lie? What, what's truth? What lie did I learn? What's the truth, Papa? And he's going to tell you some really cool stuff. This is all going to happen tonight. Isn't that amazing? He's going to tell you some really cool stuff, and you're going to write it down. And then the last step of the sozo, we're going to do a little prayer thing there. And, and then I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what He wants you to actively do about it. And some of you, He'll give you really specific things. He might say, every time you see a penny, I want you to pick it up and prophesy to yourself, I am a prosperous soul. Or He might say, I want you to, um, I want you to put a $25, $20 bill in your, in your wallet and not spend it for six months. You have to own it. 
possess it like a slave because money is the perfect slave. Did you know that? It's the perfect slave because it's built to serve you. And it'll have babies and the babies will go to work for you. That's what interest is. Money is a perfect slave but is a terrible master. And so one of the things the Holy Spirit might tell you is I want you to put money in your wallet and own it like a master owns a slave. This is the perfect slave and you can't spend it for some number of months. That make sense? And then he might tell you what he wants you to do with that at the end. So these are all just examples of actions the Holy Spirit will tell you. That's a financial sozo. We're going to do that shortly. i got one last little thing to teach you before we start down the sozo route. Did you know that money is a spiritual power? Money is power. That's why people want to get it. Because it makes you powerful, right? Get all the money you want, just think how powerful you'd be. Did you know that God made it that way? God made money a spiritual power. God made money a power. He also made power to exaggerate whatever's in your heart. He made it that way. God made it. God made power in a way that we encounter it, that it creates an exaggeration of what's living inside of us. Let me say it short. Replay that. Money is power, and power exaggerates whatever's in your heart. Money is power, and power exaggerates whatever's in your heart. And God made it to be that way. You see, the, the mistake that the church has made, you remember how poverty is over here and mammon is over there, two ends of the same thing? You see, what happened is when the church got around power, money, we got kind of squirrely, didn't we? I mean, we got a long, long history of squirrely Christians. When we get around powerful places there's more than just money is a power there's influence is a power and beauty is a power okay um, position there's lots of different kinds of power but whenever the church got around it we got squirrely so what we did is kept a distance from power because it made us squirrely rather than deal with the junk inside if we got around money and money made us act really stupid. So we thought, well, let's not act stupid because people see that and that ain't good. So I'm going to get a distance between it so that I get down here where I don't look stupid and nobody sees anything squirrely in my life. So we created a vacuum. And we call it humility. But see, what this is over here is this is poverty. I've walked around the island. I'm now sailing around the island of poverty. And we justify it and we say, well, God said you can't serve God and money. Did he say that? No, you see, the verse says you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon was translated into three words. I think bad translations. Money, riches, and 
I can't remember the third one. It doesn't matter. It's in, the, it's in the manual. You can check it out. See, when the translators were trans, translating that word mammon, mammon isn't something we walk around and use that word much. What's mammon? Right? What is that? Well, it really means wealth personified. Isn't that creepy? Wealth personified. Another way is money deified. So when Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon, and the translators made it you cannot serve God and money, we conclude as good Christians that God does not like money. And so Christians cannot have money. So money makes us squirrely. God said don't have money, so we get away from money because that's not good. Right? But the problem is the world isn't conflicted in any way whatsoever over that. So the, the earth hates a vacuum, so the world fills that vacuum, and the money is possessed by the world right now. There was a time when the world would ask the church, what we would consider the church, the religious world, God's kingdom, the world would come and ask for advice. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, right? But we have been so afraid of money that we have abandoned it. It's created a vacuum and the world's filled it. They don't come to us at all right now. They're not interested in asking what Christians think about stuff. Pardon? I, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm out of tokens. How are the pennies doing? Somebody pocket all those? Yeah. I have better pennies than those if you need them. Yeah, they were just stuck on a table. I'm sorry to pick on you. Did I pick? I didn't know it was you. I thought it was her. Yeah, probably was her. Probably that guy behind you that's smiling really big right now. Framed her. Yeah. You know, these are the days of Joseph all over again. There's a crazy thought. You remember in the days of Joseph, he's in prison. He's been having these dreams and all this stuff, and everybody's beating him up. He gets out, and then he gets back in prison. Now he's in prison, and Pharaoh has this nasty dream. He has this nasty dream about these seven fat cows. And then after that come these seven skinny cows, and the seven skinny cows eat the seven fat cows and don't get fat. They stay skinny. Hmm. Anyway, that didn't work for me, but let's stay on track. That was a rabbit trail, major one, but I pulled it in. So, so Pharaoh has this dream and he says, oh my gosh, I've had this nightmare. And let's say you are all of the advisors, Pharaoh's court of advisors. This is them. These were all the magicians and smartest cats in the kingdom, right? And Pharaoh stands up and he says, I have had a terrible dream. But I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. I need you to tell me the dream and then interpret it. And we're going to start with you. And by the way, if you're wrong, we're going to kill you. You first. And he goes, Pharaoh, I think you dreamed about spaghetti. And he came up with some answers and he said some things. And Pharaoh listened intently. And he said, no, kill him. Who's next? And it was really amping up, right? A little tense. And they said, hey, let's not do this. 
Let's go get that Hebrew out of the prison. Let's get him in here because I heard he can tell dreams. So let's save our necks and get this Hebrew. And they bring him in. And he tells Pharaoh the dream, right? And Pharaoh is like, clunk, you know, wow, that's impressive. Am I messing up my stories? Daniel. Well, Daniel, no, Joseph. I'm going to go with Joseph and Pharaoh. Because Daniel didn't have the dream of the seven skinny cows. Joseph had this. Oh, okay, okay. I got excited there. So this guy's not dead after all. Yeah, he's alive. But this is an interesting thing that Pharaoh did ask for interpretations and he did recognize that no one knew the true answer. He had the anointing. This is this weird. He did have the anointing to recognize that isn't, that isn't the answer. And so he pursues until they provide Joseph. Joseph comes out of prison, interprets the dream, and, jo- and Pharaoh says, who else could I find to run the kingdom? And gives him the keys to the king. Gives him the ring. Right? Isn't that amazing? Now, I think that today is the same day. I think that pharaohs today are having a nightmare. I think the kings of the planet are having a financial problem right now. They're having a nightmare. And they're asking for an interpretation. And they search all of their people and they say, tell me the interpretation of the dream. And nobody knows. Nobody knows. Lots of people are talking, but nobody knows the answer. Well, where is Joseph? Joseph is in prison. Joseph looks like debt, bondage. The church today is in prison right now. We are in bondage. But here's what's going to happen. God is about to release us. God is about to call the Josephs out of prison. But he's not going to call us out until we have the capacity to wear the ring. Until we can move back to power and not be overtaken by it. I said that God made power on purpose exaggerate what's in our heart. That's because we're like blenders. We're like blenders with no lids. That's right. We're supposed to be living our life like blenders with no lids. And when we get close to power, it's supposed to get Jesus all over the room. But what we've done instead is it gets all of our junk all over the room. So we learn how to get away from power and keep the lid on. And this is not going to work for us any longer. To walk as a prosperous soul, you're going to have to learn how to live your life like a blender with no lid. And every time you get closer and closer to power, every time you pass a test, every time you encounter promotion from the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to carry that. And if your goo, goo, does that work? If your goo gets over the walls that is not Jesus, you're going to have to deal with that in the way that we're about to deal with it right now, in a, in a sozo-type way, going to Father God and removing and forsaking the junk that you've grown familiar to. Do you see the word familiar there? Because separating yourself from the stuff that you love is much harder than you think. If you look at the front of this manual, don't turn there now, but I'm going to tell you, 
There's a dedication in the front of this book. This manual is dedicated for those fierce enough not to settle. Fierce enough not to settle. We're going to have to be able to forsake our familiar islands. No matter how dangerous they are, they feel so safe. You're going to find yourself holding on to lies. Holy Spirit, here in a moment, might show you. He might already have shown you. I think He already is to a bunch of you. Shown you lies you're believing. Things you're holding on to. Things about, that you believe about yourself. Things that you believe about money. And He's going to show you these things and you're going to, have, you're going to say, Papa, where did I learn that? And He's going to show you, oh, I was, I was seven when I learned that. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example. When I was a little boy one time, I moved to a new campus. And uh, I, was, I didn't know anybody on this campus, so I was playing by myself. And these bullies would come, and they began to pick on this new kid and pick on him on this new campus. And they would, they would find me out on the playground in my little spot, and they would pick on me, and they would beat up on me, right? And, you know, really what was going on, it wasn't that very dangerous. You've got to understand. But when you're, you know, when you're little, everything feels like it's life-threatening. Well, to cut a, a long story short, one day I randomly attacked these kids. They, they came to do their normal thing, and I react and I attack these kids. And there's more to the story. I'll probably share it tomorrow. But in this attack, I, I just completely went raged. I just raged on them. And I chased these bullies all over the campus, all over the playground. And there was three of them, and two of them eventually I didn't worry about. They just ran off. But the one boss kid, I chase him literally out of bounds, out through the brush. And the teachers are chasing us, and they catch us out in the bushes. They catch us, and I'm attacking these kids with rocks. You know, Now, I'm a little teeny dude, but I got rocks. And so the teacher runs out there, and they, they separate us, and he grabs me by the back of the shirt and holds me up, and I keep, keep feet are kicking. You know, I'm just, you know, out of control, totally. Anyway, they send me home, and of course, I felt like a total dummy. And the next day, I come to school, and I'm like, ugh, you know, what a dope, right? What a dork. So, but what happens is this other kid walks up to me the next day, and he goes, hey, you're the new kid. You're Stevie, aren't you? I went, yeah. And he goes, I saw what you did to Brian yesterday. I remember the kid. We became friends, by the way. I remember what you, I saw what you did to Brian. That was pretty cool. I go, it was? And he goes, yeah, that's awesome, man. You want to come play? We're going to go play some splatter ball or whatever we were doing, whatever that is. And off we went and we played. And that was like a big transition. You see, rage proved itself in my life as a young boy to be a help. Right? It grew up. This little idea landed in my heart and grew. And it began to grow stiff and occupy space in my life and began to bear fruit. My wife and I are newly dating and newly married, I think, at this point. We're driving through town and some guy cuts me off in a car. And I come unglued. Wow! In Jesus' name! Right? God bless you! 
No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am just like that, hanging out the window like a, like a Labrador. <laughs> My wife, you know, when I get all calmed down, she's all like, whoa. You kind of got an anger problem, don't you? I go, huh? No. I learned to love the...